Hello. God. I really hope. Irene, we had so many things standing in our way, but I really, really hope that we just sound like that Santana champ because we're so yeah. crisp right now. So <laughs> like, crisp. So crisp. Um, Emily's on a new mic. Who my new mic? Who this? <laughs> we got a new mic. We got a new guest. We got a new guest. Ooh, oh my god! It's our friend so Kevin. Hello. The one that I accidentally locked in a garage that one time. <laughs> yeah, I have since remember? escaped, and now they are letting me speak. <laughs> so sorry, Oops. Kevin. Do you want to come on the podcast? Please don't sue. <laughs> <laughs> this works. <laughs> yeah, uh, people who listen will recall that story because I think we started the podcast when we got your message about yeah. like, yeah, no, it was fine. I, <laughs> I got my way out of there eventually. <laughs> and you say you had to tunnel your way out. Yeah, I, I found a spoon, you know. It was buried somewhere in my uh, stacks of Rubbermaids. Sure, so, you yeah. Shawshanked yourself. I did, Right yeah. out of there. Just ran on out. How much poop was involved? <laughs> We're not going to comment on that. <laughs> oh, so it was like a lot of poop. Yeah. It was like so much. Yeah, poop-a-palooza. <laughs> Unrelated, but kind of related. Yes. I'm 90% sure uh-huh. my neighbor is dead. No, 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 no. You okay. can't say things like that. Uh, hmm. pa- the package has been sitting outside of their door for like five days now. Oh, I've Pat never left like, a package that long. No. Cat no. thinks that they're like just gone and I'm 90% sure they're dead. I mean, have you knocked? Why would I do that? I mean, it doesn't actually solve your problem because no. if they're gone or dead, they're yeah, not going to answer. They're not going to answer the door, Taylor. But I more just want to know if you did. No. Or are you saving this for a future episode? Oh, you could have survived finding your your neighbor, neighbor dead. Mm. <laughs> oh, Lord. That would actually rule. <laughs> not, not them really. dying. Taylor. Not them dying. The you, the story. The, the content. Yes, thank you. The good, good content that will be generated off of their death. Don't you think that their children and their loved ones would be proud of that? <laughs> this microphone smells really new. <laughs> it's got new mic scent. Mm. That's exciting. And Kevin and I's mic have... Um, Probably the scent of my own breath over many, many podcasts recorded mm. on them. Thank God for these pop filters. <laughs> I've just been sniffing my own saliva dried over many months because I'm disgusting. <laughs> uh, so we're here. We've got a new mic. We're using a new recording system. We are. <laughs> that one's an accident. <laughs> um, I'm really sorry. <laughs> We I got might have everything set up. I might have fucked all the way up, guys. Just all the way. We got all set up, and I realized that I don't have the recording device that I usually use because my husband took it to Florida because I'm dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're we're on Audacity, so any problems if we lose this episode, if we lose chunks of audio, blame Audacity. It's a free yeah, program. It's a free program. Okay. You never know what you're gonna get. That's true. I mean. People use it. It's great, yeah. right? People it's probably it. great. Mm-hmm. Thanks for making this program available for free audacity, but also I am blaming everything on you. <laughs> and certainly not on our $100 new mic. <laughs> Speaking of which, thanks to our patrons. Yeah. Y'all rule. We got a pod mic we got now. got a pod mic. It's awesome. All right. Y'all ready? Thank you. Let's do Literally, this. My brain did that just three seconds ago. My mouth usually does what your brain does. <laughs> 
everyone in the room just tilted their head and looked away from each other. <laughs> we all did the curious dog all at the um, same time. <laughs> actually, um, are we sure we want to be saying that? <laughs> Too late now. Recording for mm. posterity. 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 Posterior. Look, I'm going first. And uh, Kevin is fully aware. Kevin is a listener and also has walked in on the end of maybe more than one episode at this point. Mm -hmm. um, so we are still doing the thing where we go back and forth. We got true crime and non-true crime mashed up in one episode. My true crime is a fucking doozy. Just guys. a big old doozy. And then that's going to help tease because Kevin here is also going to do his own story just for our Patreon listeners. Yep, and I didn't know mine was going to tie in so well with what he's doing, but it does. So and that is great. That so super excited. I'm I... so excited I could pee. All <laughs> <laughs> well, the bathroom's down the hole. Okay, well, that's good to know. I'm so excited <laughs> for someone to tell me a story. Who One isn't Emily. Wow. I'm, I mean, I've just, I've heard <laughs> it. <laughs> so fuck my drag. <laughs> <laughs> but like, don't you kind of love it when both of us just get to sit there and somebody tells us some shit and like we don't have to don't think? I to do the work. Yeah. Yes, uh, that's the point. That's the way to phrase it, Taylor. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean that. Two years. <laughs> it's been almost three years. All right, I'm going to take a drink. Oh, we're drinking tequila. And then other than that, Kevin has his amazing acai. Yes. Acai. Because not everyone's a drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. I need to. This okay. is a judgment-free zone, mainly for Kevin judging us as we get drunk. Yeah. I yeah. just can't drink on a school night. That's my thing. <laughs> So. <laughs> You're such a like a straight edge guy. Uh, it depends on the day. Yeah. <laughs> totally fair. I mean, uh, mostly it's just that we are drinking straight up tequila with lime juice in it, as we always do, and that's disgusting. Okay, y'all ready for this? Thank you, thank you. All right. So, either of you, y'all ever like even once in your life? Think about running a marathon? Yes. No. <laughs> I'm surprised by one of those answers. Kevin, we're on the same boat. No is the answer. Well, Emily, wh Emily, when? <laughs> okay, so a co-worker and I are going to be prepping to do a 5K. Wait, so you're saying this is a recent thought? Yeah, I was thinking like oh. when you were like middle school, you were like, fuck oh, yeah. <laughs> No. I want to run. <laughs> I'm proud of you no, right I now. I okay. used to run. Okay. I know that running long distances makes me want to throw up. But also, <laughs> sometimes you just got to have a goal. Also, you're do about I pushing yourself. think I'm going to do it? Realistically, probably not. I know myself. <laughs> but if I put in the money for a 5K. Sure. I'll you're, at least do that. Yeah. Right. I, no, I get that. It's it's mm -hmm. kind of your incentive, you know. Yeah. yeah like yeah. I've I've paid X I amount have put of dollars. Money into this. I feel bad if mm -hmm. I bail. Exactly. No, that's also, fair. Someone else is involved, mm -hmm. so it's not just me trying to hold myself accountable. Sure. That's so sure. true. Well, that's fair. Now, okay, so I've learned something today. Um, my answer is no. It is a big resounding <laughs> no, 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 no. And it's not just because I had shin splints growing up and also asthma. Um, and also, I'm super duper lazy. So, okay, if you've never thought about that, what about this? What about like a six days long marathon no. that takes place in the largest no. desert on the planet? Nope. Ooh, that sounds horrifying. I no. mean, right? Get that shit, I'm out. Yeah. 
They call it an ultra marathon. So for anybody listening who's like, <laughs> fuck that shit, yeah. along with all of us, I completely agree. That sounds like some bullshit. I'm not even like prepared to really think about what goes in to being in the desert for six days running and it is a race this thing i'm about to tell you about is a race it's not just a marathon to, <laughs> you know you're you're beating yourself you're beating yourself yeah no you, no you it's a race beating. so this is not like an endurance thing i mean people are given ample supplies of water and and I mean, things like that I actually assume, right? i think it's a bit of both like Ooh. you you can carry stuff with you but it is what you can carry with you huh. and there are checkpoints at the end of the day but otherwise it's just your fucking ass i will i will totally get into it so I'm going to tell you a little bit about the setting for this survivor story, which is the Marathon de Sable, which is the Marathon of Sands. It is a 156-mile run through the Sahara fucking desert, and it makes it roughly six times the length of a regular marathon, and it places it in one of the harshest climates on Earth. And it was thought up by a guy named Patrick Bauer. Just like some, dude, just some white ass sounding dude. I don't know. His name's Patrick Bauer. I assume. And Patrick Bauer. The sounds third. like a Stephen King villain. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, he he ran his ass, his own ass, over two hundred miles of the Sahara in twelve days once, just like for funsies. And he was like, I should make other people do this. I'm really glad he ran his own ass and not somebody else's. Mm. That would be terrifying. Yeah. So. He never once in that whole 12 days came across an oasis or a community to stop in. And that was white dude. I mean, honestly, they were like, nah, hide, take all the tents down. He's coming. He's coming. (laughs) But Patrick is coming. (laughs) (laughs) But that, but that is what gave him the idea for the race that like you can go for days in the Sahara without finding anything. And it is up to you to figure it out. Like I would do it for like an hour. (laughs) <laughs> I wouldn't even do that So that's no, pretty good No, no you know, Just have a magical moment On top of a sand dune Like looking out With like this beautiful chiffon Draping off of you <laughs> Blowing in the wind You want to shoot sunsets. a music video You don't want to run <laughs> see, 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 here's the thing with me um, As my lovely lady friends here know I am the guy dripping sweat At room temperature So if you put me in a desert, uh-huh. I would be a puddle within minutes. That's true. And this, that's actually yeah. like dangerous. You're just like losing too much fluid out of your body. Right. You get yeah. dehydrated so much faster than everybody else. Exactly. Completely fair. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and say that your particular desire to never do this is like a like a necessary thing. And it it's is medical. no way. Yeah. Yes, it's medical. <laughs> it in no way reflects your laziness. And that's great. Correct. <laughs> so... The Marathon de Saab has a men's category and a women's category because, of course. Sure. And people from all over the world have competed. Zero men from the U.S. have ever won, although four U.S. women have. So, that's right. Damn, nice. I know, right? Not bad. Go ladies. Yes. But I'm not here to talk about them. I'm really sorry. This is just not the podcast for them, even though they sound super badass and I bet their stories rule. I'm not actually here to talk about anybody who has ever won this race. I am here to talk about a man who never even completed it. So let's do it. Mm. This guy's name is Mauro Prosperi. He's Italian. Mm. Mm. I'll probably mispronounce his name a lot. I'm going to try to get Mauro right. Is it M-A-L-R-O? It is M-A-U-R-O. Mauro. Mauro. 
I can't really roll my R's. You know this Mal about me. Roll. Oh, See? you too, huh? <laughs> Et tu, Brute. Okay. Oh. <laughs> All right. Thank you. I'll just maybe um, gesture to one of you when I need sure. someone to say the name. Thank well, you. you can start it and then we'll roll the R for yeah. you. Yes. Okay, yeah. let's try that really quick. I'm going to do it with both of you. You can both roll at the same time. How about this? Mal. Roll. <laughs> That ruled. Okay, kind of gave you. me life. That was yep. really, that was really good. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right. So Mauro is Italian. He is born in 1955 and eventually became a police officer. Oh. In Sicily, mm. he's also an. I can't believe this exists. He is an Olympic level something called a modern pentathlete, modern pentathlon. For plebeians who are not aware, is just sounds like five rich kids sports that they shove together into <laughs> one big sport no one could ever possibly afford to do. So it is fencing, mm -hmm. freestyle swimming, equestrian show jumping, and a combined pistol shooting cross country running section. So that is some. Rich dude shit Everyone's, is what that is there. Yes. <laughs> Everyone who's ever done that has like like a cashmere sweater slung over their shoulders at all times. There needs to be croquet in there somewhere too. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a safe assessment to say that these are all on the bougier level yeah. of sport. So from all these events, the running was most important to Mauro. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Running for me is freedom is one of his quotes. It's love, it's everything. So Mauro's love of running was more important to him than almost anything. By 1994, he had a wife and three children, and one day he just tells his wife, I'm going to run the marathon to Saab. He doesn't ask. One of his kids is a baby. <laughs> like, And he, he just goes, I'll be gone in April, darling. Goodbye. And she's like, Oh, fuck you. <laughs> wow. I'm, I watched, um, there is a Netflix show called Losers. Um, and it's really interesting. It's about sports people who like never actually won something, but their story is more interesting than their accolades. Soraya Bonnelly is on an episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She rules. Um, and he. If you don't know who that is, go Google it. Yes, please. Um, and he has his own episode, Mauro. Um, and so his wife is on there being like, Oh, I was pissed. <laughs> I had, so. Yeah. Uh -huh. I had a baby. There were two other kids. Yeah. Mauro is a selfish piece of shit. <laughs> it was amazing. A lot of work. Yes. And he would be gone for however long. And he had been training and training and training like sure, day so he's already been gone. Yeah. He would run 40K a day. So basically, he yeah. was home long enough to knock her up again. <laughs> right. And, and then, then he... was like, bye. They get done and he's like, I gotta go for a run. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> So horrible. So Never anyway. marry a runner. Yes. Or a man named Marro. <laughs> oh. <laughs> or do and just like, mm, get it. <laughs> so he just tells her where he's going. And again, the race is in April 1994. He's going to be gone for at least a week. because The whole thing is six days. Travel there and back. All that shit. He goes with a friend who had convinced him to run the, the race in the first place. And they're going to do it together. And Mauro remarks that his friend, he may have been running to find himself more in some ways. Mauro, who admits he's incredibly competitive, said it was about winning. He wants to win this race that thousands of people enter and that is 256 miles long. Don't worry about it. So each day of the race is a different stage. 
a day where you have to traverse rolling hills and then rocky mountain terrain and then huge three-story sand dunes like you just go up down up down huge sand dunes all day one of the days oh lord i know i just want to throw this out Mm -hmm. because i you mentioned 1994 in the sahara desert and Uh. something came to mind unsurprisingly it was genocide oh great um so just so everyone knows just for perspective the genocide in rwanda started on april 7th 1994 and went until July of 1994. So these things were happening at the same, same time, time. in roughly the same place. I mean, the Sahara Desert is very big. Africa's it's very big, very but like big. Africa's very big. <laughs> Holy shit! There you go. I'm sure like they were starting the race, and they were like, "Y'all hear about Rwanda? <laughs> Weird over there, right? Yes. Let's not go that way. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Take our rich asses and run the yeah. desert. <laughs> oh God, dude. Yes. So. So the whole time, they're also battling the wind, which is crazy strong at that yes. time of year. Like, mm. insane. Yeah. And the, it picks up the sand, and mm-hmm. it and cuts your face. Yes. And, yeah. yes. and, like, Malro's friend was like, uh, I live in Italy. I'm from Sicily. I'm used to the wind. Like, I get the wind. This was different. This was very upsetting 24-7. This angry wind. Yes. yes. So, angry, sandy, dusty wind. <laughs> right. So... Ah. At the end of each stage is a checkpoint where all the runners meet up and start again the next day. So within a few hours, though, they all start together. But within a few hours, the different pacing of each runner leaves them basically all alone in the desert until they see each other again at the end of the stage. It would be so terrifying. Mm. So they have mile markers not to lose their way. But it's the desert. Anyway, <laughs> let's, let's, we'll figure it out. Wind blows things. Yes. <laughs> so Mauro... Ooh, that was almost good. That's Thank you very, very much. Good. Okay. There's um, a way to fake your rolling Quick R. D. That's what I always learned. Yep. It's called a quick D. Sometimes. <laughs> Can't roll your R's? Give him a quick D. Uh, so Malro was faster than his friend. And so he was out on the fourth day ahead of his friend. And this is the most difficult day. Mostly they go like 18 miles a day, 25 miles a day. This is a 53-mile day. You have to complete this stage between 24 and 36 hours, or you get disqualified. This is like the one that pushes the very limits of your endurance. Sure. I can see why. Right? It's like, (laughs) oh, by the way, when you sign up for this race, you have to sign a form telling them what they want, what you want them to do with your body if you die. Like, it's that shit. Anyway, so Mauro is out and about. He's on some smaller dunes. He's by himself. And suddenly the wind picks up like a lot. Turns out... Like a dust storm? Like a sandstorm just came right on in on him. And according to Mauro, it started to feel like thousands of tiny needles were hitting his face, just like you said. sand hurts. Yes. So this is a quote from him. It's a little long, but I thought it was helpful. I was cutting between these small sand dunes, and at a certain point, all hell broke loose. A deadly wind lifted these small sand dunes. Small sand dunes are much more dangerous than large ones. They walk, which would be so creepy. I realized... I don't like the sound of that. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you, Emily! (laughs) No, that's all I hear. Actually, I went right to Super Mario Brothers 3 and the desert levels, you know? Oh, yeah, legit. When everything's trying to kill you in the desert. That sounds about it. That is exactly what's happening right now. So I realized, this is still still quote. We're in the middle of the quote. (laughs) I 
realized if I stood still, the sand would cover me. So I moved and moved and moved. The sandstorm lasted about eight hours. Mm-hmm. I was alone Shit at that. no joke. Right? It's dark by the time it ends. Yeah. I was alone at that moment. So I decided to sleep in my sleeping bag and wait for the following day. Oh, I thought, fuck. Uh-huh. I thought, I'll continue tomorrow. The race is lost anyway. Like, he was like, I'm way behind pace. He was in seventh place when this happened to him, by the way. Mm. He was murdering it. And then he got stuck in this. So the next day, shocker, Mauro discovered that everything around him looked totally different. (laughs) The sand dunes had all shifted. There were no more mile markers anywhere. Even with a compass and a map, it is difficult to navigate when there are no recognizable points of reference. So he's like, okay, I think this is the way I was heading. So he starts off in the direction he believes he was supposed to go. Now his friend, who didn't hit this dust storm, was far enough behind him that just never had to deal with it. He reached the checkpoint that previous night and didn't see Mauro. But he wasn't particularly worried. People got pointed in the wrong direction, like, all the time. And the mile markers would eventually help them find their way back. It would just take them a little longer. The organizers of the event were not particularly worried either. They'd lost people in the desert before. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Probably oh, all this of, happens all I the mean, time. <laughs> right? <laughs> they have, like, protocols because clearly it happens all the damn time. It's the 90s. <laughs> yeah, whatever. We just let people do anything. Whatever. <laughs> so the first day that Mauro was missing, they sent jeeps and a helicopter to look for him. And there was no talk of stopping the race. They were not going to stop. He, people had to get found by helicopter a lot. They usually fixed it within a few hours. It was fine. So later on that first full day where Mauro is alone, he realized he wasn't seeing any other runners in the direction he was heading. Like, usually there's people who kind of march their way through the race, and he should have caught up to them. And he never saw them. So on the second day... Second day he's alone and has no idea what way he's heading. He sees a helicopter fly overhead. And Mauro sends off his flare. He says in the show, Losers, that he's like, the flares were like big pens. They're like really small and pathetic. They sucked. He was like super <laughs> bitter about it. <laughs> the helicopter does not see it. And it does I'm not shocked. turn around. <laughs> yeah. Quote, he's not coming back. He's not coming back. At that point, I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> there i felt no fear but desperation so mauro's friend crosses the finish line days later but he doesn't celebrate because now it's been four days since he last saw mauro and he no one has found him yeah generally by the fifth day anyone is lost in the desert they are presumed dead they stop looking yeah sure because like how yeah (laughs) yeah And also, it's just so big, and the manpower needed, and, like, he could be anywhere, and holy shit. Also, there's genocide happening. Also, like, a lot's going on, guys. So, Mauro is all over the Italian news by this point. His wife is being hounded by reporters, uh, looking for statements and pictures of him. Leave her alone. I know, right? She has a baby and two other children. She's also the sassiest woman alive, and I just... So proud of her. <laughs> she was just like, fuck you, like every three seconds. It was amazing. <laughs> so his wife eventually stops answering the telephone because she knows that they're nearing the point where they will call off the search and she doesn't want to get that news. Yep. Meanwhile, meanwhile, in the Hall of Justice. <laughs> Sorry. Malro is still walking. So for him, by the time that fourth day rolls around, he has already run out of water. 
And as soon as he ran out, he was like, okay, this is the most hydrated my pee will ever be. So I'm going to go ahead and pee in my water bottle and I'm going to go ahead and drink that. So he did it. Not even, not even really a big deal. Apparently he was like, yeah, I get it. Sometimes you do what you got to do. Wow. I know. I can't even, I can't Mm. even think about it. No. But apparently, I mean, you get that thirsty. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, if it's between dying to, mm-hmm. of, of thirst and drinking my own piss, I'm probably going to choose the piss. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe. Yeah. What does my piss t- taste like is my question. <laughs> is it bad? I'll die. That's I, mean, well, I doubt he had eaten any asparagus it. earlier. So. <laughs> so true. Some people are into it. <laughs> oh, you're right. Let's not kink shame. It's true. You have to use the mouse. There we go. Just want to make sure it's not going to. Okay. So, yeah, that's happening already. He's also, like, he's wearing two separate hats. <laughs> he only walks in the early morning and the evening when it's not so hot. He's And, like, he is an Italian man. His skin is already pretty dark. He never actually burns out there, which is insane. He just gets, like, even darker. Yes. So he's actually fairly well equipped for the situation. He's doing his best not to dehydrate himself fully. So by the fourth day, he suddenly realizes, like, there is a building off in the distance. And this building, it turns out, is called a marabout. It is a Muslim shrine. It's old as fuck. It is probably literally, like, ancient. Like, thousands of years old. Mm. Cool. Yeah. So there are pictures of it in articles and footage in the Losers episode. And the building is pretty run down. But Mauro still hoped to find someone there. All he found was a tomb. There's literally a sarcophagus. And there's, like, an inscription of, like, a holy man is buried here. That and a lot of bats. And I'm very sorry for this part. Quote, eating was necessary. Uh, That's all. Uh (laughs) It's like both of you were like, I know where this is going. Yep. (laughs) He's like starving. So he looks up at the wall. He sees this row of bats and he grabs one. Yeah. I cut off its head. (laughs) Sorry. I cut off its head and mixed mixed the entrails up with my knife and sucked them all out. Uh, You're welcome. I didn't ask for this. What can no. I say except you're welcome? Couldn't he like story stuck it out in your ears? side and roasted it in the sun or something? The you thing know? is, he actually mentions this. He was like, I was worried if I even tried to cook it, it would lose too much moisture. I was trying to retain and mm. keep as much water as possible. So drinking their blood straight up and slurping down their guts, he was like, this is probably the best way to both feed and like get enough liquid into myself. How ironic would it be if they were vampire bats? Uh, he, I mean, <laughs> honestly, he was like, I didn't do anything to them that they don't do to their prey. So they totally you know, might be. <laughs> turnabout is fair play. Bat. Yeah, they're probably like, the fuck is this really big bat doing to us? <laughs> he ate my God, dudes, 20 bats. this Whoa! Way. Probably over the course of a bit, but like still, it's a lot of bats. By the nineteenth bat, are you still going? Yeah, I'll cut this one's head off. I'll suck out its guts. I'm still so hungry that apparently that's fine. I don't know. I'm not... You would have to be mixing it up at some point, like me. Right. Like maybe I'll just no. uh, um, put two together, and, you know, or, <laughs> or yeah, maybe <laughs> I'll like, just eat the wings this time. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's surrounding himself with dead bat carcasses just singing. <laughs> or just their heads. Yeah. That, yeah. 
Oh my! Oh my an image. It is very upsetting, but it might have happened. We don't know. I'm mm. not. I'm not ruling it out. I don't want to think about it. No, right? <laughs> so, he Thank does eventually. You. After maybe after he's done singing that rendition, <laughs> um, he does dig a hole outside and he buries. To poop? Well, probably. But he also buries the bat bodies that you know the parts he doesn't Good. eat. Oh, well, yeah, that's nice. He was like, "Gonna kill them in a fucking shrine." Well, the right. least you could do is be. Respectful I'm sure it was practical as well because the yeah. sun was probably getting those carcasses to that's smell a little. Really true. All right, also, so yeah. yeah, that's very fair. Yeah. What's next? <laughs> so Malro stayed in that shelter for three days, just trying to keep his strength up, and then he suddenly hears the sound of an engine overhead. It's a plane. Now, it may have been looking for him. It may not. I don't really know. But either way, Mauro goes outside and writes, help me. And he says, help me. He is speaking Italian and there's like subtitles, but he says, help me in English. And like the little sort of cartoon they were doing of him out there writes, help me too. So I have reason to believe he wrote it in English. Just thinking sure. like someone will see this. See sure. This. Yes. Then he takes every piece of synthetic material he has, including his backpack and his sleeping bag, all of his shit, and puts it in a pile and lights it on fire. And he waits, and he hopes that the plane will see the smoke. Quote, But then, just then, another sandstorm hit. No! It lasted for 12 hours. The airplane did not spot me. No shit. Oh, and he burned everything that he had. Right? Like, he doesn't have a sleeping bag or his backpack anymore. He's all in on this. All fucking in. I mean, I think I would, too. Because you're not thinking, well, what if I don't get rescued? (laughs) You're thinking, I have to get rescued right now. And it doesn't work out. And this is, of course, when he gets, like, this is his lowest point. This is not the light. This is not the fucking light, (laughs) y'all. He's... Been close to rescue twice and it hasn't worked out. He has no idea where he is. He's been scavenging for food and has had no real water in days. He's convinced that somewhere along the way in his life, he has hurt someone and that he deserves this. Quote, I know, right? Like sad mentality to get into. I was very depressed. I was convinced I was going to die and that it was going to be a long, agonizing death. So I wanted to accelerate it. This is not the light. <laughs> Morrow used a piece of charcoal to write a note to his wife. In it, he said he was sorry for not being there. He was sorry for hurting her and their children and for leaving. In addition to not wanting to starve to death, Morrow considered it would be best to die in the shrine so that his body could be found eventually instead of lost in the desert. That way his wife could get his police pension sooner. Because in Italy, if you are declared missing, you have to wait 10 years to be declared dead. So she wouldn't get any of his pension. And he was like, well, maybe they'll find me my dead body here if I kill myself. So then Mauro took out his pocket knife and slit both his wrists. And then he fell asleep on the floor of the shrine. Quote, man is not afraid of dying. He is afraid of suffering. I was afraid of suffering. I was like, damn, bitch, that was, that's good. You, that ri- you write that shit down, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's real deep. But very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ugh. 100% agree. So you would think that when Malro woke up on the floor of the shrine some hours later, super not dead, <laughs> his fear and despair would have like mounted. Like, I can't even kill myself. Yeah. Instead, though, 
when he looked down at his wrists and he realized that his blood was too thick from dehydration, like his wounds had just sort of clotted themselves closed. Oh, he was like, oh, my God. God. He kind of just felt like, OK, this must not be my time. I guess I got to keep going. So he got up and he left the shrine. And some accounts say that Malraux remembered a bit like of advice he'd learned from a friend before the race. Look for the formation of clouds on the horizon at dawn and head toward that because that's east. So he did. And along the way, he kept foraging for what he could find, cactus, lizards, bugs, anything to eat. He says he got back a lot of his lucidity and strength from realizing that he hadn't died in the shrine and that like he could still keep going. He was actually like surprisingly he felt stronger than he felt he should have maybe because of his training maybe because he'd eaten all that fucking bat guts well, he had a lot of bat in him yeah <laughs> so much bat in him um but either way like even though he felt mostly okay maybe inwardly he also found himself shaking quite a lot at one point he's walking again and he looks down and he realizes he can see all the bones in his hands oh. and his wrists have grown so thin like his watch just like jangles around on his forearm <laughs> like he's he's lost a ton of weight and he walked like that for several more days. Jeez. Quote, I wanted to see my family and friends again, and I concentrated on that. I wasn't afraid. At the same time, I started to view the desert as a place where people can live. I could see beauty in the desert. I paid careful attention to every trace. Even dried excrement gave me clues on what direction to go in. So eventually he looks around and he's like, there's shit everywhere. Holy crap. <laughs> like... <laughs> At this point in her interview, his wife says something like I found funny and interesting about this guy, but also about like the survival mentality that we talk about a lot with like, how do you survive by believing that you can mm -hmm. like no matter what? And so she says, like, first of all, he sounds a little bit insufferable based on this as well. Like he was probably very difficult to be around, but is perfect for this situation. She said that Mauro has a sane insanity. Some might call it resilience, but resilience is when you fall down and you get back up. When Mauro falls, it's like he never actually hits the ground. There's nothing to get back up from because he has never actually fallen. Like, he never, he never actually feels downtrodden for maybe more than a bit. Like, when he tries to kill himself and then just goes, you know what? I guess I shouldn't have just done that. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'm good. I could probably make it through this. I'll just keep walking. <laughs> like, that's him all the time. Because so, let's face it, I mean, most of us in that situation, we decided, okay, this is the end. Mentally, we've had that moment where we're like, okay, this is the end. It. I'm going right. to cut my wrists. Mm -hmm. And then it didn't work. Mm -hmm. I would just lay there right? and just wait I'd for nature to take back over. Back yeah. Clearly, I didn't cut yeah. deep enough. Like, yes, either you're yeah, still trying to kill yourself a little faster, or yeah, I think I just wake up and be like, fine then i will waste away yeah i don't give a shit this is fucking horrible it's gonna be fast i'll just go to sleep yeah. Yeah. but the survivor mentality that a lot of the people have that we talk about like they have this thing that yeah. mauro has where they're like no fuck you actually i will get up yeah. <laughs> you know he should have just gone outside and you know suffocate in the sand just bring some of it into the temple so true there's a lot of ways to die if you really want to. Yeah. That's just a, an interesting sidebar on this, and, and this has come up on other of your episodes. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people don't realize that they have this in them until they're put to the test. Yes. Yeah. And then it just comes from some place within right. them 
and pushes them forward. It's it's, it's fascinating. It mm-hmm. really is. Yeah, it's crazy. Like you you have to be tested to your absolute limit to understand what your limits are. Right. And like I do think that based on the way this guy talks, he. He was like, nah, I, I always knew I was like that. <laughs> like, he's maybe the only person we've ever covered who's like, no, 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 of course. Yeah. Of course I'm like, I'm well, there's always one that ruins it Some for fucking everyone asshole. else. Exactly. But, you know. <laughs> you're, you're exactly right about most of the people we sure, talk about sure. a lot of the time. Yeah. On the eighth day after leaving the shrine, Mauro comes across an oasis. Oh, he actually finds one. Holy shit. And wow. it's not a mirage. Whoa. <laughs> I was real. waiting for someone to use that word. I was just waiting. I know. I didn't even put it in here, but now I was like, mm, mirage. mirage. It's like, <laughs> it's the best word. I was choking about an oasis. I know, right? But it actually happens and is very helpful. So there's this little pool of water. He drinks from it. He tries to sip slowly. You cannot just ingest like a yeah. whole bunch of water. You'll throw, throw that throw shit up, up right. Yep. So he lays by there for many hours, just like slowly sipping. Mm-hmm. And he sees a footprint in the sand there. And he realizes like people are here. People come to this place. I can't, I'm not that far off. So the next day as he's walking, he sees goats. Oh, people keep mm. goats. And then suddenly and they taste better than bats. Yeah. He was probably like, <laughs> let me get my pocket. Knife. God damn it. I wonder how long it'll take me to stir up these guys guts. <laughs> It's so lovely having you both in my house. <laughs> we have now. to go, Kev. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, yeah. <laughs> so he, at this point, as he's looking at the goats being like, awesome, I'm, I'm, I'm headed in the right direction, around a sand dune comes a little girl. And she sees him, but and he like waves. He's trying to be like, hi, not like super crazy, but he must look like a fucking corpse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He has lost so much weight. He's probably super crusty from sand and dryness. Sure. And he looks terrifying. So the girl screams and runs away. And according to Mauro, he wasn't even upset because he was like, a person. <laughs> Holy oh, shit. Oh, person? Yeah, I guess I'll just follow her at a slow stalk like I'm a creeper in a serial killer movie. So he walks in the direction she had run until he comes to a small village. And the girl had warned the women that he was coming. Apparently not super scared, but more just like, there's a guy. <laughs> He's clearly been lost in the desert. We yeah. should probably help. He may he or may not be dead. Uh, yeah. We don't know. And he might be a zombie right now. Yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> the apocalypse has started. Yes. <laughs> the dead have risen. Get to your bunkers. He's the guy from the shrine. <laughs> <laughs> So they'd already, by the time he gets there, they'd already prepared some like goat's milk for him to drink. Oh. And they laid him out on a rug in the shade. Apparently, like all the men were out hunting. So the women were just like taking care of shit. At, and they wouldn't let him in their tents because he was a man. Sure. But they were like, you can go lay under a tree. Yep. So he stayed there for a while in the shade. And then a jeep comes into the village and two soldiers get out and they blindfold Mauro. They had guns. And when they put the blindfold on, Mauro felt sure that they were going to shoot him. Sure. God. Yeah. Get through all of that just to be killed by Yeah. Literally, exactly. He was like, that's the only time I felt real fear that I had, like, made it through this thing, and then they were going to shoot me in the head. (laughs) Like, bullshit. Mm. Yeah. But instead, they put him in the Jeep, and they drive him to a hospital. Turns out this was a medical facility on their military base, so they blinded him so he couldn't see anything about the base or where it was. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's That's more for his protection so he can be captured by someone else. Totally fair. But yeah. they couldn't explain that to him. Apparently, I mean, I mean, <laughs> they might have and he couldn't. Oh, maybe he couldn't no. understand them. Absolutely sure. Delirious. Well, and also he's Italian and they're, they're 
He's in Algeria, him. he finds out, by the way. Oh. So they're, they may not speak anything. <laughs> he may not speak anything close to the same language. Who knows what he studied before coming here? I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But so they keep him in a hospital bed hooked up to IVs, and he's there for 10 days before he's even able to make a phone call. And back at home, Mauro's wife, as I mentioned, has stopped answering the phone. She doesn't want to hear that her husband has been found dead or that they're mm -hmm. calling off the search and we think he's dead and, you know, I'm another reporter. I want to talk about him. So when the phone rings that day, it's her mother who answers. And I just remember my mother saying, Mauro, Mauro, are you alive? And then she threw the phone at me. <laughs> 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 yeah, right? I just, I see this old Italian woman like, chuck <laughs> 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 <Just shock> it. <laughs> Spanish women throw flip-flops. <laughs> yes. Italian women throw phones. <laughs> they do. So when Mauro hears his wife's voice, the first thing he says is, have you already had my funeral? And she, just not, not giving one fuck for even a second, she replies, well, we can't do that without a body, so no. <laughs> she, she's my favorite person on earth. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, so Mauro, he convalesces in the hospital a while longer. Where he realizes, like, they tell him, like, you crossed the border into Algeria. You were 181 miles off course. Jesus. Wow. That's how far he'd gone, but also what? in the wrong direction. He would have gone, yeah, he probably would have completed the race yeah. and then some. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. He did it. He did it. <laughs> <laughs> He's lost over 35 pounds. Mm -hmm. At this point, he weighed just 99 pounds. Mm -hmm body was just eating muscle yeah God. he was unable to eat anything that wasn't a liquid for literally months mm -hmm. like anything solid he was not able to keep it down for months it took him almost two years to fully recover turns out malrow and his wife did not stay together i'm mm, shocked there's yeah right? i know right <laughs> super shocked by this Malro was not a family man first and foremost. Like, yeah, he just wasn't. He's like, I love my running and you my think this self. experience <laughs> would change that? But no. no, not even at all no. a little. If anything, I'm guessing it, it just made him more passionate about running. It, uh -huh. Well, it probably bolstered his, you know. Uh, clearly, I can live through anything. Exactly. I am right. a god. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so she believes, you know, his his relentless pursuit of his own passion is kind of selfish. And yeah. hard on their children. So eventually they split up. They're actually still best fucking friends. That's why she talks such shit about him. Because she's like, yeah, that piece of shit? Love him. Cannot be his wife, though. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great quote from her, I thought. Uh, Living with Indiana Jones is very difficult. Because Indiana Jones is never there. Mm. He believes life is made up of adventures. But life is the adventure. And, like, he still thinks that. He's like, ah, fuck you. I don't care. I have not changed. <laughs> he even wow. says, like, his friend who ran the race with him, like, they, they bring him back to see him. He's like, yeah, we grew apart over the years. And so this show, Losers, brought them back together <laughs> just to say hi. And he was like, you still out here being Peter Pan? And he's like, you know it, bitch. <laughs> like, wow. He has not changed. Wow. I'm guessing he's still single. Oh, <laughs> you know, I think he's actually with somebody else because he says, like, Oh, I'm with someone else now, but she knows. She knows. <laughs> she knows what I'm like. We're not, you know, super serious, like trying to start a family. We'll probably never get married. Mm. I would hope not, or at least please just don't have any more kids, dude. You don't have time. No, no. So ever since his ordeal, I shit you not, Malro has run the marathon to sob six more times. Face your fears. Yeah. 
He even came in 12th once. That's as close as he's ever gotten to winning, which is pretty fucking great, considering, like, hundreds of people yeah. joined yeah, this race. that's pretty big. In total, he's won, he's run eight desert marathons, so two of them were not the Marathon to Sub, but still just desert shit. He's totally into the desert now. And at, in, in 2015, he was planning a trans-Saharan trek across the entire Sahara Desert with a friend. I don't know if that ever panned out. I never found anything after they were like talking about planning it. So Mauro credits his experience and with coming close to death and like choosing to tell it no, basically, <laughs> that with his desire to keep going and pushing his own limits. Quote, after the finish line, there is a starting line. This experience gave me the joy of living life. And that is the story of Mauro. Mm. Mauro. Mauro. You beautiful son of a bitch. <laughs> I love you. Arrivederci, Mauro. I mean, he seems insane, but also, like, I'm proud of him. Yeah. Like, but, I mean, do you think, I mean, I would think that the ego, the the, the overwhelming <laughs> ego of this man mm -hmm. could be part of that driving force that keeps mm -hmm. him. I mean, doing a, a trans-Saharan trek is almost like. Tempting God, mm -hmm. you know, or oh, tempting yeah. fate. I dare you to kill me. Right, I yeah. keep coming back to the place where I almost died. Dare, just peeing in God's face. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, the yeah, the arrogance is, mm -hmm. is just unbelievable. But it must feel, you must get so high off of that feeling of like completing another thing and being yeah. like, I did it again, God, yeah. what? But yeah. Interesting story. I know, I like him. He was really interesting. I do not like yeah. him. You don't like him? I'm do you like his wife? survived. Mm -hmm. I'm happy for him. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean I have you, to like him. You wouldn't want to be his wife. God, and you wouldn't no. probably want to be his friend either. He sounds insufferable to them too. <laughs> I would be that final force that kills him. <laughs> well, he loves himself. And I guess that's all that really matters. Right, friends? Yes. And honestly, I think that is all that matters to him. And that's fine. You know, sometimes people be do like you, that. Boo. Just do you, That's boo. how the Mauro do. <laughs> Hey, do we want to take a, a super quick break while we gear up for Emily's probably very upsetting story? <laughs> I'm keeping that in too. Oh, thank God. Oh, Alan, we're back. Mm. And we were a little worried there for a second. Again, new program. We don't know. We don't know what's new going program, on. Program, new microphone. Who does? Every, everything is new. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're oh, here. We're, we're ready. Here. Emily, what are you going to do to us today? <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're going to do something a little weird. Okay. Mm. A little conspiracy theory. Ooh. A little out there. A lot of murdery. Okay, good. It's fine. It's fine. So, <laughs> today, we're going to talk about the Zodiac Killer. Oh, nice. shit. Okay. I mean, that's not nice, but it's nice to talk about, right? I mean, I mean, that's every true crime like person's reaction. Like, ooh, ooh. I love that. I mean, ooh. I mean um, I'm, a, I'm a terrible oh. person. I'm so sorry. So we're going to talk about the Zodiac Killer's two survivors and then a couple theories to go with it because the identity of the Zodiac Killer is still undetermined. Right. Mm -hmm. Famously but so. Correct. I have a theory. It could be Barney's. 
Anybody? Um, Buffy? No? No. I wish. Oh. It's one of the many shows that I know I need to fucking get on. Oh. Now, I will say, I'm like... I'm heartbroken right I'm now. I'm so sorry. I feel so bad right now. So sorry. Now, Kev, you're also a big true crime person. I am. Yes. So, this is... We're both aware. I'm aware of the Zodiac Killer. I'm aware mm-hmm. of many things about the case. However, I don't know a ton of the conspiracy theories surrounding it. Nor do I. Yeah. I've, I've heard some. I stumbled much. on oh. this one. Okay. I go through these phases where I do podcast binges. Yep. And I was like, <laughs> ooh, what's this? And it just opened this whole door into the Zodiac Killer that I was not ready for. <laughs> what was the podcast? I'll get to that. Oh, okay, good, okay. Because you, you know worry. I'm trying to get on that train. <laughs> I know. It's very good. I think I've told you to listen to it before. Probs. Like, when I started listening to it, I was, like, getting messenger. I'm like, Taylor! And it was probably, like, something where it was like, well, maybe it's, like, Sword and Scale, and I'm not going to like it, and I won't. <laughs> I won't listen to it because yeah, it's sort of too much, intense. too fucking much. That is always the the thing that I decide to listen to right before going to bed uh-huh. is something horrible and awful, awful like this. <laughs> I made the mistake of listening to Sword and Scale when I was building a house in The Sims, <laughs> and the nine one one call happened as I was building the bathroom, and like now I can only picture that bathroom when I think of that nine one one call. So you never play that house in The Sims, do you? I never play that house in The Sims. <laughs> that was a particularly traumatic episode of Sword it's and Scale. <laughs> yes, it's been tainted. Yes, it's been tainted. So, for anyone who doesn't know, the Zodiac Killer is a pseudonym of an unidentified serial killer who operated in Northern California from at least the late 1960s into our favorite decade of the early 1970s. Oh, good. Yeah. We, yeah. we love the 70s we love here. love the 70s here. It's because nothing was happening and everything was safe. Especially in California. <laughs> it was definitely okay to hitchhike. We know that yeah. for sure. Mm, yeah. No problems I'll there. I'll get to that. <laughs> Oh, no. So, <laughs> the killer, Mr. Zodiac. Mr. Zodiac is how we are now referring to him. <laughs> targeted four men and three women between the ages of 16 to 19, and two of the men survived the attempted murder. Whoa. In two separate encounters. Mm. How have we not caught this guy? Anyway, yeah. like, holy shit. Yeah. So the Zodiac himself has claimed to kill up to 37 victims, though nothing has been proven about this. Okay. Here's what he's known for, Mm -hmm. and what you guys might be thinking of is the circle with the cross through it. Yes. Mm -hmm. And he used to send a bunch of taunting letters and cards and cryptograms to the local Bay Area press. Oh, that sounds familiar. Oh, weird. So he... Sent letters including four cryptograms or ciphers. Of the four cryptograms sent, only one has been definitively solved. Okay. Okay. My theory on this is that the others are just literal bullshit. Mm. (laughs) This is the only one he tried on. (laughs) That's what I would do. Right. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, Code breaking is kind of a whole thing. Yeah. And it's very difficult to write a code that no one can ever break ever unless Unless it means nothing. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So our first survivor, and I looked up how to say his last name and then I promptly forgot because. (laughs) As you do. As one does. (laughs) So 
July 4th, mm-hmm. 1969, Darlene mm, nice. Farron and Michael Mago. Mm. That's not right. Magoo. No, it's I not was Magoo. totally going to say that. <laughs> Does he go through Michelle. some shit or can we call him Magoo? How's, we this, how's it spelled? How's it spelled? M A G E A U. I Mag- think it's Joe. Joe? Yeah. Mag- no, Mag- they didn't pronounce it that way. So I would have remembered that. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> oh, these are survivors. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I sh- shame. I Darlene shame. and Michael drove into the Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo, mm-hmm. which is four miles from the Lake Herman Road murder site, Ooh. and parked. Um, the couple sat in Darlene's car. And a second car drove into the lot, parked alongside them, and then immediately drove away. It then came back Mm-mm-mm. ten yeah. minutes later and parked behind them. Oh my god, get the fuck nope. out. The driver of the second car then exited the vehicle, approached the passenger side door of Darlene's car, carrying a flashlight and a 9mm Luger. No. The it's killer then directed the flashlight into Michael's and Darlene's eyes. And then shot them firing five times. Oh, oh my god. Obviously, both victims were hit. Uh-huh. And several bullets had passed through Michael into Darlene. Ooh. Because it's Powerful. Luger, guys. Yeah, that's they're not that's fucking a, around. Yeah. <laughs> um the Zodiac killer then walked away from the car, but heard Michael moaning, walked back to the car. And shot each of them two more times. No. On July 5th, at 12.40 a.m., a man phoned the Vallejo Police Department to report and claim responsibility for the attack. Oh, great. Because this was something the Zodiac liked to do. Yeah. Oh, uh, I it was it. me. It was me. Um, they also took credit for murders of another couple that happened six and a half months earlier. Okay. Because this was like at the beginning of his murder kind of spree. Mm-hmm. And that had been a standalone double homicide and nobody thought anything There's no of it. serial right. activity at yeah. that point that they right. thought. That makes sense. Yeah. So the police traced the call to a phone booth at a gas station. And it was about three tenths of a mile from Darlene's house. And only a few blocks from the Vallejo Police Department. Oh, shit. Again, this was the late 60s. (laughs) So it's not like they had this pulled up on a screen and could just hop in the car and go. Mm -hmm. Michael survived despite being shot in the face, neck, and chest. Holy shit. Yeah. And there was, like, some, like, controversy about whether or not they were actually attacked by the Zodiac. But, like, that all got cleared up. Mm. Like, the satanic panic, like, came into play. And, oh, like, of course. And, like, all that shit. What sure. if it was just sure. some Satanists? Yeah. It's never just some Satanists. It's never just some Satanists. Go no. fuck yourselves. <laughs> Our second survivor, this one's a little more in-depth, mm-hmm. is Brian Hartnell. So, Cecilia Shepard and Brian Hartnell were sitting by Lake Berryessa. Mm-hmm. enjoying a relaxing visit. And a fun fun fact about Lake Berryessa, they actually have, like, this film festival there each year hmm. where, like, they play a movie over the lake. Sure. That's kind of pretty. But it's, yeah. like, people are murdered there, so, like... <laughs> so it's a little guys. creepy. 
morbid now. Yeah. Yeah. And then I had this thought today as I was leaving work thinking about this. I was like, you know, there's a lot of movie festivals in a lot of parks. And you never know if you're sitting somewhere that someone has died. Like, Holy <laughs> shit. So the next time you're in the park. Just the ne- really, Emily, is that your message to the people? As we swing into spring. <laughs> next time you're in any park taking a nice stroll, think about who might have died there. Mm-hmm. Just Go like, ahead. Or take a moment. You may be dying mm-hmm. there. Yeah. <laughs> YOLO. Be aware of your surroundings. Yes. <laughs> so they're sitting by the lake. Enjoying the night. Mm-hmm. They didn't know someone was watching nearby. They never do. No. Ever. <laughs> so Brian heard a noise and asked Cecilia to look around. Brian, honey. <laughs> Maybe everybody goes together one. <laughs> I don't think he told her to like get up and go look, but it still was you, like... You, go see what that was. <laughs> you were that. <laughs> so she saw a man... Moving behind a tree. Brian was like, eh, we're fine. Well, you're going to ask her to go look and then not believe what she sees? She Brian. Like, we're okay. Okay. They didn't notice that he had on a dark hood featuring the symbol of a white crossed circle. Mm. Shit. Yeah. That, he had no. an outfit now. Yeah, he's gone full Zodiac. Yeah. <laughs> so he came... So Zodiac Killer came prepared with some pre-cut lengths of clothesline to restrain them. And on his belt, he had a foot-long knife and the holster for the gun. That's a really big knife. It's a really big knife, guys. Compensating for something. So. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. God damn it. (laughs) Behind it was he was using the gun to keep them from running. Okay. So they had a full-blown conversation. Like, Brian got him talking. Because, <laughs> you know, might as well get to know that you're a killer. Right. I mean, yeah, you like, know. I think Brian <laughs> yeah. was in school for, like, psychology or sociology and, like, oh. got him fucking talking. Because this wow. is a good survival tactic to be yeah. like, let me get to know you, and then yep. you might get to know me, and yeah. then you might not kill me. And right. at first, the guy was like, I'm just going to rob you. And they're like, okay. We don't have anything. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, I also want to take your car. My car is hot. <laughs> My car is hot. <laughs> Which, like, that was in the transcripts from what Brian gave to the police. I'm just like, that's a really weird way to phrase that. Mm. So, yeah. Oh, right. Like, is it, is it hot like you get in it and you burn yeah, yourself like, on the seatbelt? Or is it which hot like it, it won't hot run? Like it won't run. <laughs> oh, I was so, thinking hot as in stolen. Oh, oh. Thank God you're here, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what he meant. Yeah. Okay, oh, my God. <laughs> Changing course now. Um, oh, my God. So- <laughs> Holy shit. We just, oh, my God. We, we don't okay. deserve this podcast. <laughs> Kevin, do you want to own the podcast now? I'll like sell- to inherit one whole podcast. We'll we just want to do episode 69. We'll sell you the majority stake in the podcast. <laughs> Well, I got a brand new microphone now, then yay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Anyway, I want to die. So, (laughs) he was obviously lying to them. Oh, no. And he kept saying that he meant them no harm. Not true. Hmm. Super not true. So, this is a quote from Brian. 
And so I saw him put away his gun, and I was turning to say something to Celia, and all of a sudden I felt my back just... No. I don't think I saw him pull it out. I don't remember. I think I saw him... <laughs> Guys, I fucking see you. <laughs> I'm sorry but she says I think, it, it was... I think I saw him whip it out. <laughs> his knife. His knife. Thanks for clarifying that. I refuse. Knife. I refuse to accept that part of the quote. He <laughs> just starts stabbing me in the back. Ugh. Ugh. Also, I just love her being like, my back just no. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. This was Icky. Brian. This was Brian. <laughs> and then he says, chomp, chomp, chomp. I was just, and then he makes a guttural sound. Are you, you kidding know, me? That kind of sound. Do you, do you? I'm so sorry. This is his quote about what happened to him. He's like, I had chop, 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 and I was just like, chop, 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 guttural noise. You know that you know that uh, that vine of the surfer who just got off a big wave, and they're interviewing him for the news, and he's just like, he's yeah. like, and then just like, <laughs> it's like that. Yeah. It's like they're talking to that guy, except he almost got killed. Well, this is Southern California, correct? I mean, this is where we are, ish. I think so. Okay. So like, maybe. yes, so everyone talks like maybe, that. Maybe, yeah. All right. So <laughs> he was on so many drugs. <laughs> Zodiac it was the 60s. So. Yeah. <laughs> Kept stabbing. Oh, God. Until Brian feigned death. He pretended to be dead. Smart. Yeah, that is smart. The man then just stabbed Cecilia over and over again. When he finished, the stranger walked back to the road. He took out a black marker and wrote a message on the passenger door of Darlene's... No, Cecilia. This mm -hmm. is a different couple. Oh, my God. <laughs> of Brian's white Volkswagen Carmen Gio. Okay. A passing fisherman, because they were by a lake. Sure. He's just in a boat like, what yep. the fuck is going on oh, over there? Ladies, what the fuck? <laughs> Holy ladies. A passing fisherman alerted authorities, and Brian and Cecilia were later taken to a hospital. Um, at 7.40 p.m., the Napa Police Department, so up north. Then, okay. Received mm. a call from a telephone booth. At a local car wash. Hi, guys. It's me. It's Mr. Zodiac. <laughs> um, this is from the 911 call. I want to report a murder. No, a double murder. They are two miles north of Park Headquarters. They were in a white Volkswagen Carmen Gia. The detective waited, but nothing came. So the detective was like, where are you now? And then the mysterious caller was like, I'm the one who so. Zodiac Killer is so yeah. fucking dramatic. I was going to say, yeah. so, so dramatic. He's I'm, so dramatic. I want to report a murder. No. A I double am. murder. <laughs> like, dude, calm the fuck down. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't even know. What a fucking nerd. <laughs> so, Brian gave the cops the description of the, as he called it, costume. Because, <laughs> yeah. You ain't just wearing that. No. No. The message on the, cross, cro on the car door and then the, the cross circle that was on the costume and as well as the car door. Mm -hmm. And at this point, authorities had put together that this was the same symbol that was on the letters mm -hmm. that were being sent to the authorities taunting all the cops. Okay. Just all the cops. By every cop. And the letters also threatened that he was going to kill again if the newspapers did not print the cipher. That he claimed would reveal his identity. Mm. 
Um, when deciphered, the message began with the words, I like killing because it is so much fun. The writer also referred to collecting slaves for his afterlife. This is important. Remember this. Okay. Like, okay. Just file it away for a second. So the people he kills are his slaves, slaves in the afterlife. For the afterlife. Okay. Mm. So police then asked the writer to send another letter with details about his crime to prove that he was responsible. And the Zodiac came through because huge egomaniac. Mm. Sure. Another letter arrived. And this one had the phrase that he became infamous for, which is, this is the Zodiac speaking. Sure. Yeah. I'm sorry. He just sounds like such a fucking, like, yeah. <laughs> he loves the Joker a whole bunch. Like, yeah. Like, it's his favorite. <laughs> yeah. So, unfortunately, Cecilia Shepard did pass away. Mm. But Brian survived. And Brian's story was the only reason that the world learned about his outfit. And okay. the conversation that Brian had before the attack. How do you survive so many stab wounds right? to your back? I mean, he... because he feigned death, like he pretended to be dead. You must long get... enough. But you, you would think so that lucky. at least one major organ or artery could right. have been, been severed. There's been a lot of stories of people just being really lucky, especially if your assailant doesn't know human anatomy. Oh, They're sure. just stabbing random yeah. spots. And there's yep. a lot of spots you can be stabbed that aren't going to be immediately lethal. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, even if you're stabbed in the in the gut somewhere, like you're you're you probably going to get at least 30 get, like, Yeah, you're going to get like sepsis and shit and yep. internal bleeding, yeah. but... Yeah, he w- maybe he was never, his heart wasn't punctured. Things that would kill you instantly. Right. That yeah. is yep. very lucky, though. Yeah. So Brian also gave a description of the man that he saw. And that sketch is still available if you Google Zodiac Killer. It's one of the first sketches that comes up. It's like the sketch. Yeah. When you think about a sketch of a serial killer, mm-hmm. that's the one. <laughs> like, yeah. The guy in the black hoodie with the black sunglasses, right? Yep. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah. the one. And there is a, a moment in the conversation, and you can read the transcript of like what Brian gave to the police of what the conversation was, mm-hmm. that at one point in the conversation, Brian looks at the Zodiac Killer and says, your hands are shaking, are you nervous? Ooh. And the man laughs and then replies, yeah, I guess so. And I don't think he was nervous. I think he was excited. Yeah. Sure. Like it was the adrenaline course. Sure, mm-hmm. sure, yeah. But again, this Brian guy... Was like really on point he was with really on point. trying he was to pick so stuff out. Fucking on point. Yeah, hmm. he was he was really shooting for some stuff. Like, can I, you know, make him think about maybe he's if he's having some sort of second thoughts about this? Can I force him to think about that and talk yeah. about that and yep. stop him? Yeah, smart. And it's interesting that the killer just didn't try to just without even engaging at all, just like he did the other couple, just mm-hmm. shoot him right away. Right. You right. Know? He let Brian yeah. talk to him. I think it's because him. he didn't pull up behind them in a car. They were out in the open. Mm. So, and, and he, he, doesn't... he had the pre-cut lengths of rope this time that he didn't oh, okay. have before. Mm. So a little more thought like, went into this. A little more planning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also it showed that Zodiac was quick on his feet, as it were, to be able to hold a conversation for as long as he held it. Sure. With Brian. Without, it was like I mean, a pretty lengthy transcript. Like I had it in my notes at one point, and I'm like, no, this is too long to read. I can't do <laughs> was this. Was it like Brian's recreation yeah. of how the conversation went? Interesting. Um, so what happened at Lake Berryasa um, could have died with Brian Hartnell. Um, apparently the blade did come close to his heart. 
a matter of inches. Jeez. Holy shit. But he survived. And like I said, his account really jump started the conversation about Zodiac. Mm-hmm. All right. Conspiracy time. Okay. Dun dun. So there's a <laughs> great podcast called The Clearing. Ooh. Okay. That talks about Ed Edwards. That's the stupidest name ever. Edward Wayne Edwards. Who the fuck does that to their kid? Born Charles Murray. Whoa, he changed it on purpose. Yes. He wanted to be Ed Ed <laughs> and Eddie. <laughs> Ed Eddie Edwards. <laughs> Edward Edithan. Suffolk Esquire. Now, Ed Edwards was a convicted American serial killer. Okay. He did pass away in 2011. Good. Sorry. Whoops. After he was arrested and set to be executed. So he escaped from jail in Akron, Ohio in 1955. When he pushed past a guard and fled across the country holding up gas stations for money. Because you could just flee in 1955 by pushing past guards. Mm. By 1961, he'd landed on the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives list. He was then captured and arrested in Atlanta, Georgia on January 20th, 1962. Granted parole in 1967. And then murdered at least five people between 1977 and 1996. So he's like poster child for why we don't give serial Mm. killers parole. (laughs) And is suspected of several additional killings. Jesus Christ. With his 1962 capture, he was imprisoned in Leavenworth, from which he was then paroled in 1967. Yep. That's what? It's not fucking cool. Of other very famous prisoners in Leavenworth. For anyone who doesn't know. Mm. Leavenworth is a familiar sounding place. Yeah, He got married, had children, which is going to come into play. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. And became a motivational speaker on the subject of his reform. Seems natural. Uh, Progression. He appeared on two television shows. Oh, my God. To tell the truth in 1972. And what's my line? Because he wrote an autobiography called The Metamorphosis of a Criminal, The True Story of Ed Edwards in 1972. And these talk shows had them on, and you had to, like, guess who was the real person of, like, who's the killer? Mm. Oh, my God, that's so morbid and fucked up. Yeah. That is... I don't like that at all. Wow. (laughs) What the fuck is wrong with us as a society? Yeah. That's always the question. So, between 1974 and 2009, Edwards had lived in more than a dozen different states when not incarcerated, according to his daughter, and used many false names, hence the name change from what he was born with and what he went by. Can't believe you settled on Edwards, buddy. Now, the podcast, The Clearing, is the story of his daughter, and she's on the podcast Turning him in for a murder in Wisconsin. Holy shit, really? Yeah. She was the key component for him being arrested for a murder of a couple. Do you see where I'm going with this? I do. He was arrested for the murder of a couple in Wisconsin. Mm. Okay. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. 
Wait, is she a host of this or is she just like she's, on it? She's on it. Okay. She's not like a formal host. They have like people who do podcasts that are guiding it. Oh, okay. Sure. But she narrates a lot of it. I see. All right. Interesting. So, in a letter dated July 9th, 1993 to the FBI found in Edwards' papers, Edwards requested his criminal and history records for the cities in 19 states claiming that J. Edgar Hoover more or less gave him permission to proceed with his autobiography. Oh, my God. After he told J. Edgar Hoover there was nothing bad about the FBI in there. (laughs) That's all that mattered. Yeah. So, (laughs) if you were wondering who was imprisoned at Leavenworth at the time that Ed Edwards was there. Always. um, Tony Provenanzo, Mm -hmm. Charles Manson, and Jimmy Hoffa. So it was just a who's who up in that piece. Yeah. Oh my god. So So there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there about Ed Edwards. Mhm. Including that he was actually the one who killed Lacey Peterson. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. There were a lot of like apparently anonymous letters sent in and like a bunch of blogs. Holy shit. Are you kidding me? No, I'm fucking not. Uh, I'm sorry. Wow. The, the... And they were alluding that it was either him or the Zodiac killer or that he is the Zodiac mm-hmm. killer. Yeah, oh I was waiting for that. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Google it. Look at it. I didn't give it a lot of credit because like. Because that what? happened in 2002. Mm-hmm. That was a horrifying case. Yeah. That case we was. We need to just. That. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, that was my introduction to true crime was the Lacey and Scott Peterson case. Honestly, yeah. like I remember mm. my so, mother had that on 24 seven. It was yeah, insane. There's a lot of, and I had that on 24 seven. My mother was not a fan of that. <laughs> so there Nancy was, fucking I was in grace. Grade. <laughs> I was in eighth grade when that happened. Um, so there were a lot of like clips from the message boards. And there's a theory that he was the one actually running the forum. And it was IKLP, which was an acronym for I Killed Lacey Peterson. Oh, for Christ's sake. And there was a lot of, like, cryptograms and a bunch of shit. And it just... I'm... I mean... Well, okay, here's my question. Was was there any record of this Ed Edwards, or whatever the hell his name is, of being in California at the time that the Zodiac murders took place? was, like basically nomadic for a bunch of time like he would just make his family pick up roots oh and okay. move at the drop of a hat like they he would set up this agreement because he was a handyman where he would agree with like whoever owned like a certain thing mm. that would let them like stay in a place and so they would stay there for a certain amount of time and he then could just even fucking go just be like like helping around at an apartment building or something yeah. and living there and then yeah. also being the maintenance person or something yeah. like that. So okay. like the sweetheart murders, which is what they're called for what happened in Wisconsin, was like outside of a dance hall that he worked oh, at. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. So like shit like that where he could really be like anywhere. Like he was arrested in like Arkansas or Alabama. Hmm. Like, two Wisconsin detectives drove down to go interview him. If if he's working and living sort of under the table as no as an agreement, there's no, no, there's no record of yeah. where he is. Yeah. That's really good for a killer. That's, yeah. He's a kind of smart. And he was apparently a horrible father. 
No shit. Huh? I can't <laughs> imagine. He has killed like 15 people father of the year. He's just great. He it's earned... surprising to me that somebody who had that proclivity would would carry around, you know, children or, or spouse or whatever along. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Why not just leave them in one place and go off and do your thing? You it's know, it's true. Unless he's the but... kind of person who wants to appear like a family man to throw off. No. Yeah. 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 Um, he, he yeah. was described by his neighbors when he was arrested that he was very quiet and reserved. That sounds like every person who's ever killed like, a bunch of people ever. <laughs> the person you least suspect. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he just—he was just so nice and quiet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's because they want you to forget about them. Yeah, they want to disappear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this ties into yours. Do you want to tell the people what you're doing for? <gasps> tease it. Tease I it. I would love to. It, it's interesting. Yeah, that you mentioned that. So. Um, oh, I'm gonna mention more. <laughs> Don't give away too much. So just a little tidbit. Um, I am working on um, uh, a piece um, that is probably one of the most notorious unsolved murders in history um and some of you may already know what i'm talking about but (laughs) if you don't i will let you know it is uh, surrounding the death of elizabeth short otherwise known as the black dahlia Uh, uh, yeah uh, uh, uh. and um in recent years i would say within the last 15 years um the a man by the name of steve hodell has uh written um he wrote one book and now he's written another um, called the Black Dahlia Avenger, um, <laughs> claiming Brad. that well, actually he got the name from, um, like Emily's story, these um, taunting letters that the police department would receive um, saying, I'm the killer, I know oh, what happened, shit. and he would sign it the Black Dahlia Avenger. Oh. So that's why the book was, I think he took it from that. But the twist here is that. Um, the man that Steve Hodell is is um, accusing of being the murderer of Elizabeth Short is his own father, Dr. George Hodell. Oh, my Tied God. Yeah. Family ties. And Edward's what? daughter is the one who gave him up. Turns for... him in. Mm-hmm. And she also thinks he might be the Zodiac killer. Yeah. So we've got two people who think their own parent mm-hmm. might be might be like like major serial killers mm-hmm. <laughs> like like crazy yeah and, and most... unfortunately it doesn't end with uh with the black dahlia no. uh there mm-hmm. are many others um that have crazily eerie connections uh, to this one man so okay yeah more to come on that yes. for our patrons <laughs> yes i'm so for sorry pay, patrons. pay the so piper <laughs> you won't want to miss it though it's I it's going to so be excited. fascinating it's true it is going to be so, awesome we're so excited one weird tie-in is april 11 2003 steve hodell's theory that his father murdered the black dahlia in 1947 was announced and on April 13th, further rumors in the Black Dolly case were announced the very same day that another body was found that they think Ed Edwards murdered someone and, like, planted the body mm. um, to steal Steve Hodell's thunder. Steve Hodell, who mm. he um, apparently called Over the Hill Hodell. <laughs> oh, my for God. For his father. <laughs> Imagine... Being jealous of another killer. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, 
<laughs> they're, they're a special breed, yes. these, these killers. Uh, so, I mean, nothing surprises me. It's so <laughs> true. About that. So, for the last eight years, this article came out in 2018. Um, John A. Cameron, who's a retired cold case detective, has sought to prove that Edward Wayne Edwards was the most prolific serial killer in the world. And that he committed upwards of 100 murders, including a lot of very famous, well-known victims over the last 70 years. Including Jean Benet Ramsey. Oh, God. Okay. Casey Peterson. Uh-huh. Teresa Halbach, who, for anyone who's mm. watched Making a Murderer. Mm-hmm. Adam Walsh, the son of America's Most Wanted, John Walsh. Yeah. Chandra Levy, Jimmy Hoffa, Martha Moxley, Steve Branch, Michael Moore, and Christopher Byers of the West Memphis Three case. And he believes that Ed Edwards was actually the one to kill the black doll. <laughs> oh my God. Cameron also does believe that Edwards was the Zodiac killer and is responsible uh, for the Atlantic child murders. Wow. Holy shit. That's yeah. a lot of murdering is what yeah. that is. If that, <laughs> if that were t- is true, yeah. that is the single most successful serial killer of all time. Mm. Like, because the demographic is so fucking different and the yeah. methods of murder is so different. It's all over the place. And to give yourself different monikers over the course of things like separating yourself out from like, I'm the Zodiac over here. But I'm Ed Edwards over here. I'm the Black Dahlia Avenger this. over here. And that's the- interesting that, you know, I mean, that... W- Police don't, that isn't usually an angle that is is really, you know, investigated as much yeah. thing, thinking two, I mean, the, the, the thought is unfathomable that two very prolific serial killers could actually be the same One person. Guy. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know about all of that, <laughs> but I do agree on the Zodiac Killer part, because I do, like, timelines line up. So now, please allow me to present my persuasive argument as to why I agree that Ed Edwards might be the Zodiac Killer. Are you, I'm like waiting for the PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> I do have pictures. First thing, Brian Hartnell said that the Zodiac mentioned being in Deer Lodge Prison in Montana when they were having their weird-ass conversation. Um, Brian was also able to pull out other biographical details that were consistent with Ed Edwards. So Ed Edwards was in Deer Lodge from 1956 to 1955. He states it in his fucking autobiography called It's Me. <laughs> it's right. the other, like if it's I did it, me. but a step further. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> I kill. it me. <laughs> Brian also gave descriptions consistent with what Edwards has said. Um, the Zodiac then was wearing the black hood, blah, blah, blah. So... Second thing, the Zodiac sent a message, which, when decoded, mentions being reborn in paradise and that all everyone I have killed will become my slaves. Okay. So remember how I mentioned that was Edwards who, like, said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. That's very Weird specific. to have that same idea. That's not, yeah. like, a regular thing people think. Edwards' autobiography also describes an, quote, inmate in Deer Lodge prison, prison who states that he believed that anyone he killed would be his slave in the next life. The message had 18 symbols left over, which, when decoded in 2010, read, I'm Edward E. Vexed IQ hath you greater than I. Well, what? (laughs) Edwards left a very similar coded confession. I killed Lacey Peterson. (laughs) Sign Edward E. Stupid. A (laughs) A Zodiac Halloween card was sent to Paul Avery. (laughs) 
for anyone who <laughs> doesn't know who Paul Avery is. No. He was a journalist singled out by the Zodiac Killer. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. This guy is this really... Is, this is the card that he sent him. From, from your, your secret, secret pal. pal. I feel it in my bones. You ache to know my name. And so I'll clue you in. Yeah. Okay. What's it say on the inside? It, it me. <laughs> it me. God damn it, Taylor. <laughs> Edwards' daughter oh, said that Edwards had a dark side. He was verbally and physically abusive to her mother, Kay, making the children watch videos about the Zodiac Killer while screaming, that's not how it happened. Oh, no. Oh, my God. FYI, again, if you haven't listened to the Clearing podcast where his daughter talks about her life with him. How did he think his children... to uncover that he fucking committed the murders in Wisconsin. Yes. How did he think his children were not going to grow up to be like, oh, my dad done did that yeah. thing. Not exactly rational. It he... It he, y'all. There were newspaper cuttings published on my birthday, March 22nd, in 1971. I wasn't alive yet. Mm, Sure. The same day that the Zodiac, quote, Pines card was sent out that were found in Edward's paper. Like, he cut out news clippings from that day, specifically. (sighs) Okay. A witness who also met Edwards in 1971 was forced to help him prepare a Zodiac card. Edwards also told her that he murdered confirmed Zodiac victim Paul Lee Stein and confessed to several other murders. Well, there's two schools of thought here. Either Mm -hmm. he did do all this or he's just fucking crazy. (laughs) If he's just fucking crazy, it's still impressive in a way. Yeah. And now he's dead and we can never ask him. Right. (sighs) Yeah. And the thing is, like, if we asked him, we know what he would say. He is claiming to be all these things. Mm-hmm. He wants you to think that. It's whether or not somebody could figure out if he is insane yeah. and trying to take ownership of all this shit he never did or if he can prove it. And that does suck. Well, I mean, I would say from the cryptograms and things that were sent, regardless if it was him or whoever the Zodiac is, they wanted to be caught, yeah. but they didn't want to be caught easily. No, they right. wanted to toy with you the, the press and the police. I want to yeah. watch you struggle to figure out who I am. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But there definitely was a desire there to be caught. Otherwise, they wouldn't have even bothered. Right. You know, you, to be recognized so much, even if it does mean you might get caught. Like yeah. just that I want to not only do these things, I want people to know I did these things. And. Honestly, that's what both of those killers, the Black Dahlia and the Zodiac Killer, have in common. Mm-hmm. So, like, might be the same person. Might yeah. just be the same guy. Yeah. Could be Edwards. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's also, I mean, great theory. But who knows? Because like, that's also a lot of killers want that sort of thing. A lot of the more notorious mm-hmm. ones become notorious because they're the kind of person who's like, "What up, the press?" Mm-hmm. Or I mean, uh, there's there's so <laughs> many variants too. I mean, what if? this guy was in prison with the real Zodiac and got all of these details. That's true. You know? Yeah. Or it's just, it's just, there's so many variants, but it's just so much. It's fascinating to think that, uh, yeah, that's, that's that. That sure is that. Um, it's a whole lot of that. That's that's (laughs) one I've been sitting on for a little bit. No shit. Huh? (laughs) The Zodiac. (gasps) Oh, there's a, there's a boy. So, 
If you ever want to read Metamorphosis of a Criminal, it is available. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. Because it's epic. You would want to, but (laughs) check out John Cameron's book, It's Me, Edward Wayne Edwards. It's me. The serial killer you've never heard of. (laughs) It's me, Ed, Ed, and Eddie. That's his new name. Now you have heard of him. Yes. So it's not as true. I have definitely learned some shit. And this could just be because I'm I'm just a a theater nerd, but every time you say it's me, I just see Adina Menzel. No, no, I think it's me. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, anyway. But we digress. We do. Often. Almost always. That's not Jason. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys so much for being with us. Yes. Kevin, thank you. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed myself so much. Thank you once again for locking me in the garage. So (laughs) I had this opportunity to to speak with your lovely listeners. I can't believe believe you're not just telling your own survivor story of the time I was locked in a garage. It was a late November evening. (laughs) It was kind of cold and suddenly digging through. Pants inside <laughs> Rubbermaid containers. <laughs> I don't know. That's all I got. <laughs> oh, my God. Still one of the funniest things that I've ever just been tertiarily involved in. <laughs> all right. So thank you guys for joining us. As always, you should be a little bit like Mauro. You should be a little bit like... Michael. No, you should be more like Brian. Be, be a little more like Brian. He had great survival like instincts. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in addition to that... If you're ever in doubt, just don't forget your can of water. Silence. Really? <laughs> That's the worst thing you could have done to me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I got a dip, dip. Oh, no. <laughs>